America is underway here on ESPN Plus. Hercules Gomez, Sevi Salazar, Herc. I have been called a Muppet many times on and around this show, especially in the YouTube comments. But you are the father of young children on this program. So what were we looking at there at Yankee Stadium? That's Grover. He's mm. trying to instruct the New York City FC players how to play. Should have instructed them a little bit better. They they lost uh, <laughs> uh, they lost midweek. So uh, maybe next time Grover, or maybe Super Grover next time. That's Super Grover from Sesame Street. And Gigi, oh. Daddy loves Super Grover too. Look at that, Hercules. What a what a heartwarming way to start our show. Look, Herc, we got a lot to cover in the next hour. Probably, if we're being honest here, an hour plus on Football Americas coming up. We got an exclusive interview with Matt Miazga. Very interesting conversation with the young uh, central defender. We're also going to be reacting to the shocking sexual misconduct allegations that are leveled against one of the most prominent and successful coaches in the National Women's Soccer League in Paul Riley. We're talking Campeones Cup. You and I, Herc, were in Columbus last night. We're also looking ahead to El Tráfico on the weekend. Full preview of LAFC against the LA Galaxy. All that and much more available for you on the Football Americas podcast. But let's indeed start this show, Herc, with the big news from Wednesday. And that was the U.S. men's national team roster drop. Greg Berhalter naming his 27-man squad for the three games coming up against Jamaica, Panama, and Costa Rica. The Roster breakdown goes like this. Three goalies, ten defenders, eight midfielders, six forwards. The aforementioned Matt Miazga is on the list. Some other new names in. Sean Johnson, Giassi Zardes, Paul Ariola, Gianluca Busio, Matthew Hoppe, Eunice Musa, Shaq Moore, Chris Richards, Lucas De La Torre. So a lot of turnover from the team that we saw what, just over a month ago. We'll get to the snubs later, but there are some significant injuries, Herc, uh, in this list. None bigger than Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna, who are not in the list. Greg Berhalter would not rule either of them out for a potential return should they be able to get back into shape in time. Again, the last match of this qualifying cycle will be on the 13th of October, so still time for these guys to heal but Herc uh, as we think about both of these two players and the impact that they have just how big of a problem is this for Greg Berhalter and company as they get ready for this trio of matches it's a huge problem just correction Matt Miazga is not on the list Sammy remember sorry that. Yes. yes yes uh huge problem because it's Christian Pulisic it's Giovanni Reyna two of your most creative players and quite frankly clutch players when I go down and I look at productive players in 2021 I mean, we're talking about Giassi's art is leading the way with two goals and an assist. That's a productivity uh, for, for Greg Berhalter when it comes to these players. So now you have players that have scored some big goals in big games. But not only that, two of the few players that you have on this U.S. men's national team that actually show emotion. We talked about being leaders, uh, Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, Christian Pulisic, who can be a leader. Giovanni, Giovanni Reyna, in a way, is that emotional leader as well. Uh, forget about his age. Mm. He gets into the game, gets emotional, gets passionate. You can see it in his face. You can see it in the way he plays. This kid is a leader as well, and he's clutch. Uh, Giovanni Reyna and Christian Pulisic together are few players that actually are creative and can create for themselves when a game is locked, when a game is, it needs to be opened up. They have the ability, whether it's 1v1 or with their vision, to create for themselves or others. So not having this type of player, it gets robotic. It gets mechanical for Greg Berhalter in this U.S. Men's National Team. So that's a huge loss. Yeah, that's just it for me. I'm looking at the type of games that I think the U.S. will be playing. Now, away to Panama, I don't know. That, that could be a little bit more wide open. 
But when you're home against Jamaica and Costa Rica, mm -hmm. those are going to be two teams, Herc, that are very, very comfortable in that situation on the road in CONCACAF yeah. against the United States sitting in. I know it's a cliche, but they always say it's going to take an individual effort to break a team like that down. And these guys are the two dudes who are the most likely to give you that individual bit of brilliance. Uh, and like you said, it could be a goal. It could be a dribble. It could be a one-on-one -on -one move. It could be uh, that great game-breaking pass. So I think there's a potential that you lose that there. However... It's next man up at the U.S. men's national team be. level, Herc. You know this very well. And there are some, there's some very productive players in that next man up category. Brendan Aronson, for me, he's at the top of the list. Timothy Weah. Paul Areola, who's a player who I think a lot of people were surprised to see included in this list. Even a guy like Matthew Hoppe, who we have seen play out wide. Maybe he will be a nine in this moment, but he has played out wide for Greg Berhalter. All those guys, Herc, are very productive players and have been very productive of late. So it's not like there aren't options here for Berhalter. Well, hold on. Only one of those guys has been productive and productive of late, and that is Brendan Aronson. If you look at Timothy Way and look at Pariola, haven't been quite screaming production at the national team level lately. Okay, I'm talking club level. That counts. Okay, fine, fine. But Brendan Aronson's the only one that can put the total package together. So I agree with what you're saying. Next man up mentality. But man, it's a far fall from Giovanni Reina and Christian Pulisic to the rest. Oh, what about this on Christian Pulisic? You know, when he limps off the field against Honduras, I think we talked about it on this show. The concern was, well, what does this mean for Chelsea? I don't think anybody thought that we would be talking about this a month later. And, Herc, it's, it's another, like, really ill-timed injury for a guy who can't seem to, to break out of that cycle. Yeah, yeah. and, and we, have to, we have to state that Greg Berhalter himself said there is an opportunity. Maybe they mm -hmm. come back. Maybe they play in the latter stages of this World Cup qualifying fixture window. We do not know. But, yeah, you're talking about how many games he's going to miss for Chelsea. Will he miss the next game for Chelsea? And here we are, next qualifying window, and he's still not back with Chelsea. It may not play with the U.S men's national team, so it's a huge loss. No Pulisic, no Reina here. However, Weston McKinney, Herc, is back with the U.S. men's national team. Of course, uh, we remember he was suspended for two games and removed from the team for multiple violations of COVID protocols during the last call-ups. This from Greg Berhalter, quote, as far as I'm concerned, this is something that's done. This is not something we hold on guys. Uh, Herc, what do you make of Berhalter's handling of the Weston McKinney situation? I agree with them. You shouldn't hold it, hold it over, guys. If the suspension, the punishment was two games, he served those two games. He was up front with you when you asked him. There were no lies. Uh, and he, it's on to, if the group's fine with it, if Greg Berhalter's fine with it, Wes McKinney did his time, I see no reason. And, and also, you have to realize the U.S. Men's National doesn't have the luxury of not playing with the player if you have the ability of Weston McKinney's uh, characteristics, his Should ability. Should that be the decisive factor, Herc? No, no, but he did his time. If the deciding factor is punishment and time, he did it. He was up front with the coach. He was up front with the players. They spoke about it. And by the way, according to Weston McKinney's father on social media, he wasn't the only one who broke protocol. The only difference here was he didn't sell his teammates down the river. Now, mm. if you're going to go... Please, don't paint Weston McKinney as a no. hero. Don't no, paint no, Weston no, McKinney no, as a hero. No, no, You want to paint him, you wanna paint him as a martyr. You want to paint him in a different way. You want to say that he should be kicked out of the U.S. Men's National Team for an extended period of time. If two games was the punishment and Greg Berhalter's okay with this and the players are okay with it, mm. I see no reason why all of a sudden we or the fans should expect him to be out longer, especially when you don't have these type of players, especially when this group doesn't have that luxury. Uh, let me ask you this. One word answer from you. Um, does it send a strong enough message 
to the rest of the team to deter. The fact that the first chance you get to let this guy back into the team, you do it. The first chance would have been the very next game. That's the no, first chance. No, they couldn't do that. They couldn't do that because he broke He broke. You protocol. can do whatever you want. You're the head coach. No. Sebi, no, let, let, me, let me get really quickly, okay? He did his time. Two games, okay? It's not the first time. It's, it's not like they're saying, you know so what, you're a, a special player. So it sends a strong enough message to the rest of the team of that course, we won't Sebi. see this happen again. Okay. Two games. That's Se it. Seb, Seb, first time we can let you games. back in, you're good. Two games. That's 30K for the player. Those two mm. games are worth 30K for Weston McKinney, essentially. It's a $30,000 fine is what you're saying right there. And also, by the way, Seb, don't act for a second. Two goals, one assist is the productivity this year for the U.S. Men's National. This player in 12 official games, okay, I'm talking about not friendlies, official games, Nations League, Gold Cup, and what ends up being uh, uh, the, the World Cup qualifier, he's got six goals, four assists. You don't just leave players out like that to, to, to prove a message. Look. You're talking about productivity, and that's fair enough. I'm talking about responsibility, though, here. Weston McKinney jeopardized, listen, he jeopardized his participation in the event, right? By, by default, because it's COVID-19, he has jeopardized the U.S. men's national team participation in the World Cup, Herc. You can very easily make the argument that he cost the U.S. two so, points. So what one, do you do? You punish one, him for that, right? Yeah. Okay. Yo, you have to send a message. You have to send the a strong message. That's message, the point. Seb. On top of that, on top of that, as a teammate, how do you feel about it? He's not only he's not only put your health in jeopardy, he's put your professional career in jeopardy. And what if, if you coach get COVID-19 and games, you gotta go back to your team in here? And now you gotta miss time. On. If I'm his teammate and this is spoken to and addressed as a team like they say it was, then mm. I say my truth there. And as a team, if it's two games, if that's the message, if that's the decision, and he did it, where am I now? If I, I was if I was going to say something, it was back then, not now. Okay, uh, let's move on, continue our roster breakdown with a surprise, because I think there were more than maybe one or two candidates for the biggest surprise inclusion on this list from Greg Berhalter. Uh, Herc, there was one name, though, that for you quickly raised an eyebrow, the people's eyebrow that you so often flex on this show. Yeah, Shaq Moore. Shaq Moore's 24 years of age. He's not some spring chicken. He's not 18 years old, not 17 years old coming onto the scene. Uh, and you could say, honestly, I don't think Shaq Moore played a... A good Gold Cup tournament. Uh, come knockout rounds when the competition got stiffer, so did his legs. I thought he struggled. Mm. And you could say, well, form. You know, he's played. No, he's not. He's played 59 minutes in second division La Liga. 59 minutes this year. And when you think about Shaq Moore, he's not playing. Reggie Cannon out injured. Well, what about Joe Scally? Joe Scally's 18 years of age, and he's playing in the Bundesliga. Why does Shaq Moore get that leg up on Joe Scally? It was a real head-scratcher for me. Some other maybe surprise candidates we could throw in there. Luca Della Torre, Paul Ariola, as I mentioned before. I think, though, with Joe Scally specifically, we're probably going down the path of one of the biggest snubs, if not the biggest snub. So um, I love defenders. I'm going to point out Joe Scally as a snub. You, however, are a true number nine. So you are obsessed with the forward. So I know that both of your big snubs have to be guys who play up top. Can who I you tell you with? really quickly before we go to the nines on Joe Scally? If I'm a guy like Julian Araujo and I'm making a big decision and I'm seeing the panorama right now, I'm seeing this landscape and Joe Scally's getting sub, uh, snubbed and then you have Shaq Moore getting called in, Reggie Cannon isn't really in the picture, Brian Reynolds is in the doghouse with Josie Mourinho, I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, this deep player pool of all these right backs, mm. I can play there. All of a sudden my yes. decision gets a little bit more difficult.
Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Uh, Scally playing every minute so far for Gladbach. And, and what, what a meteoric rise, right? 2020 for New York City FC. He starts once, uh, only six total appearances. All right, so let's get to your snubs. Who's atop your list? It's <laughs> Jordan Pifak. I mean, we, we could say Josh. Sargent. Let's start. Let's let's start. Let's start. We'll go. We'll go to Pifak second. Okay. Let's start with Sargent. Okay. You could say Josh Sargent is a snub. Honestly, it's a snub on paper because he's in the Premier League, because he was in the picture, and all of a sudden he's just yanked out like that. But I understand this, believe it or not. I, it's a snub on paper, but it really isn't. I think this is a good moment for Josh Sargent to take a step back, to reflect, mm. to regain that hunger, to own his craft again at the club level and get his feet wet there. I think this will be a good thing for Josh Sargent. I don't think it's the end all for him. I don't think he's out and that's it. Uh, this will be good for, for Josh Sargent. But Jordan Pifak, if I'm Jordan Pifak, I am livid. You're telling me my man is good enough to score goals in the Champions League, is good enough to score game winners Champions League against Manchester United, and all of a sudden he's out the picture just like that? A, a skill set you don't really have in a nine in the pool? Uh, a guy who's in form and he's out just like that? Is he the biggest uh, snub for you? Is he the number one seed of snubbage in this round of call-ups? He is. Yeah, absolutely. Because you look at the nine, and Ricardo Pepe's got one game with the national team. A very good game, but it's one game. That's not necessarily a, a huge body of work. And you say, well, he's scoring goals in Major League Soccer. There's a big difference, a big leap from Major League Soccer to the Champions League. And Jordan Pifak is in form right now. You as a coach, you have to try to do whatever you can to make sure that is an easy transition from the club level to the national team. Whatever he's doing at the club level, I want it at the national team level. And Jordan Pifak is scoring goals in bunches. Jordan, the Josh Sargent snub, to me, doesn't really feel like a snub. Right. Uh, certainly, I know he's been playing a little more, started the last two league games for Norwich. Uh, but I think if we look back at those last three qualifiers, he plays in all three, starts two of the three, and fails to score. And, and unlike, I think, with Weston McKinney, I think this does send a very strong message from Greg Berhalter. And that is that if you don't perform, especially at that position, um, you will be Herc moved on from. Jordan Pifak, can we look at these numbers real quick? Five goals already Yep. Uh, in the Swiss Super League. Four in Champions League. Nine and 16 I've got him for so, so far this season. Uh, it really is kind of a head-scratcher. Let's talk, though, about the, the nines that did get called in. Because there are... Two, maybe two and a half, three, depending on how we kind of classify Matthew Hoppy. It's Ricardo Pepe, Giassi Zardes, uh, and Hoppy. How do you think the playing time distribution is going to break down there? What's your, what's your ranking of those three? I know you got you got Pepe as the number one in your last right. top five. You had Pifak and Sargent just behind him. So how do the next two guys kind of move up and fill those those spots? Well, we have to keep an eye on Giassi Sardes. We were in Columbus, and he was nursing a hamstring injury. So you're, he's not going to play three games. That's It's not going to happen. If he's still in camp, he's going to play one of the three, I would assume. Maybe a bench option. But a guy who's nursing a, a muscular injury isn't necessarily the best uh, at coming off the bench, uh, you, you want to start him. You want to see what he can do. You want to make sure he gets a good warm-up and all that stuff. Uh, but if you're talking about Matthew Hoppy, Matthew Hoppy's there because of his versatility. And I do think we're going to get a chance to see him at that nine position. Mm. And it's exactly what we wanted, Seba. We wanted to see Matthew Hoppy at that nine position. He's just got a different side about him, a different mentality, that chip on his shoulder. It's a, it's a Clint Dempsey type of chip on his shoulder. It's this mentality, this little, you know, Kobe snarl. He wants to be there. He <laughs> wants to be in that big moment. He wants to kind of rub elbows and fight with, with those defenders. I enjoy this. So if he's the nine right there, we're going to get a chance to see him. I'm excited for that. 
I don't think either of us would be surprised to see Ricardo Pepe start. Of the other two forwards, who do you think we're more likely to see start? I'm asking you specifically because you know that a Giassi Zardes start is one of the most divisive things yeah. that we could see for the U.S. men's national team fan base. He's the most productive player right now for Greg Berhalter. He's one of the players. So you think? So you think we'd see him start over Hoppy? If he's healthy, I think Greg gives him the start mm. over Hoppy. Yeah. All right, uh, let's transition then, because the U.S. dropped their roster on Wednesday, just a few hours before we began this show, Mexico dropping their roster under the manager, Tata Martino, a 28-player roster, including uh, four goalies for Mexico, of course, headlined there by Memo Ochoa. Uh, the, the inclusions, the big ones, you know, I'm Chucky Lozano, Raul Jimenez are back, so is Hector Herrera, uh, Johan Vasquez, of course, after his move to Syria is in the team. Hector Moreno back in as well. Still no Diego Linus. He is inching closer and closer to his return uh, at Betis on the bench in Europa League. Herc, uh, let's think about this from a Mexican fan perspective. Uh, who should they be more excited to have back in the team? Chucky Lozano or Raul Jimenez? <sighs> that is a difficult one because Chucky Lozano has been proven since 2018 World Cup to be probably your most important player. But Raul Jimenez did something at the world level that few Mexican players can do. When Raul Jimenez was at his peak, he was easily a top five striker in the world, top five nine in the world. So I would say Raul Jimenez, if you can get him back anywhere near his level, and we saw the numbers last show, his productivity in, in, in what is just chance creation, if you can get him back to that type of Raul Jimenez, I, I think that's the most important player for you. Sans Chucky Lozano and his productivity, but Raul Jimenez just offers you something different. He makes everybody else better. That's a big if, though, right? For me, Raul Jimenez is so much further yeah. from his best play, at least from what we've seen so far, than Chucky Lozano. I mean, Chucky Lozano this summer was kind of that difference maker, uh, certainly for Mexico and, and then at the CONCACAF level, and even for Napoli when he was healthy towards the end of last season. And he's also had a, a very bright month here for Napoli. It must be said, a very productive month. So um, I see what you're saying about Raul, but I think I would make the case for Chucky because I think he's... He's more of a guarantee to be the difference maker now. One thing I think we do have to both acknowledge, there's no wrong choice here or necessarily right no. choice here. Uh, Chucky Lozano came out and said the doctors told him he could have died from this injury. We know how serious yeah. the Raul Jimenez um, injury was. For, for Mexican fans, I think it is going to be a huge joy, Herc, to see both of these guys, and no matter really what their level is compared to what it used to be. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're talking about two very good players. I, I will say we've seen life without Raul Jimenez and, and mm -hmm. what that does for Chucky Lozano. I think it makes it harder on Chucky Lozano. Uh, Chucky Lozano is going to benefit from a player like Raul Jimenez. So there is no wrong answer here, but Raul Jimenez makes everybody better, including Chucky Lozano. Yeah, the other thing, too, is there's probably other guys who would never be as productive as Chucky but could fill those roles. We know the drop from Raul Jimenez to kind of at Raul Jimenez's best. Correct. To next in line is, is uh, for me, much yeah. bigger. And I, I think there's also something to be said about that number nine position. If Mexico has a full-strength Raul, I do believe they have the potential to be a quarterfinalist, a top-ten team at a World Cup. If you don't have him, for me, the ceiling for Mexico, I've always History, said this, huh? is more group phase. It's more round of 16. Okay, I, again, you love to talk about the forwards. I love to talk about the defenders. And you know for me, uh, when we talk about the Mexican national team, one position of just grave, grave concern 
is central defense. We got five kind of proper center backs uh, in this list for Tata Martino. I'm going to ask you, Herc, to rank them um, one to five, right? One being the player you kind of most think is capable, ready, you want to see in the lineup five being the last. They are Nestor Araujo, Cata, Dominguez, Cesar Montes, Hector Moreno, and Johan Vasquez. Go ahead. Who you got one to five? You want me to start with number one? As you wish. It's your show. I'll start with number five, Cata Dominguez. Listen, <laughs> Cata Dominguez is there because he's just filling a void. If something needs to happen, he's a player who could play as a center back. He can play as an outside back on both sides. Experience. I think he's just filling a void in case something happens. But in case something doesn't else happen, number four, I got Hector Moreno. And Hector Moreno, he's, he's there as that legacy choice. You know, mm. he's the guy who's still part of this group because... He's a leader because he's been so important in the past, and they're trying to see if he can regain his fitness. He's coming off an injury, uh, hasn't necessarily been playing with Monterrey uh, because Montes has been playing for Monterrey. At number three, I'm going to put Johan Vasquez. And the reason he's at number three right now, he actually went down. He's gone down because in his absence, somebody else has taken advantage. Johan Vasquez, mm. big uh, transfer to, to Serie A to, with Genoa. He's number three right now. He hasn't played. But the guy who played in front of him was Cesar Montes. And Cesar Montes, to mm. me, had a disappointing uh, Olympic tournament. Then caused a few penalty kicks. He was not as uh, good in the concentration as I thought he'd be. Defensively, he lacked. But in these World Cup qualifiers, he's been massive. Probably the best center back Mexico has had. He lacks the experience, though. And the guy who has all of this, who's got the intangibles, the experience, probably didn't have such a great World Cup qualifying uh, fixture date last go around, but is still the best in my eyes, is Nestor Araujo. He's my number one. Wow. I, I could not disagree more. I'm looking at my list here. I got Nestor Araujo at, at number five. You must not be watching Celta Vigo. You're saying, oh, he starts for Celta Vigo. He's great. No, 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 no. Nestor play? Araujo, not for the national team and not in league play, is playing well right now. I got him at number five. I got Cata Dominguez at number four. This is, again, Herc for what I want to see. And you're going to see what I'm going for here. Okay. I got Hector Moreno at three. I'm going young. Cesar Montes at two. You can't and go Johan Hector Vasquez. Moreno at three and say you're going young. No, no, no. I am going young. I'm going Araujo, Cata Dominguez, Cesar Montes. Listen to my top two. Number two, Cesar Montes, Johan Vasquez, number one. Johan Vasquez I want to see played. the kids. I want to see the kids. Played. I don't care. I want to see them. I'm not convinced by anybody else. You're convinced by the center backs from Mexico? No, no. Enough but, to keep Johan Vasquez on the bench? But I can't put bench? somebody in there who's not played. Mm, nah, he's, he's not played, whether if it's he's, injury, if he's good whether to be it's called in, adaptation, he's, he's good to play. Played. If he's good to be called in, Herc, he's got to well, be good to play. we shall see. So Mexico's schedule then home against Canada on the 7th, home against Honduras on the 10th, and away against El Salvador on the 13th. All right, speaking of Mexico, Herc, speaking of the U.S. men's national team as well, you and I were both in Columbus last night. We got to witness yet another installment of Dos Acero. This time, Columbus crew beating Cruz Azul in the Campeones Cup. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C. 
D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Jonathan Rodriguez. It's Mensa! That might just do it! It's not done and dusted, but the 18,000 here are reminding many of Mexican fans that Doceros is a popular thing here in Columbus. Campeones Cup featuring the MLS champion Columbus Crew against the Liga MX East champion Cruz Azul. Wednesday night in Columbus, the crew beating Cruz Azul 2-0. MLS now winning two of three Hercules in this series. It was a good game. It was a great, great atmosphere. Uh, what do you think the split of fans was in Columbus, though? Towards the end, I would say it was more of a 50-50 crowd towards the end. At the beginning, mm. at the beginning, I saw a lot of blue. Uh, maybe hand, maybe call for a handball here. From our advantage point on the set, it looked like it. But, well, after reviewing VAR, no handball. And then Cruz Azul, they would inch closer, but it wasn't meant to be. You see Pablo Escobar right there off the post. And then right here, good chance coming through. Angulo right to the keeper. Yeah, it really was a, a frustrating evening for Cruz Azul. Of course, it was Angulo who gave up the own goal in the fourth minute. The crew taking a 2-0 lead in the 74th minute through Jonathan Mensa, who was left wide open, Herc, on that back post. Yeah, but that's that's an error right there from Corona. Corona is much better than that. That's the second error he's produced in, in two games against Puebla. He had one as well that cost them a goal. Uh, this really wasn't Cruz Azul's night. Columbus pushed all the right buns. You've got to give them credit. They're outside the playoff picture, but it didn't affect them one bit. Let's focus on Cruz Azul first, then, because we all know the term Cruz Azuliada. No, a huge failure that only Cruz Azul could produce. But I wonder, Herc, if this rises to that level. Are you ready to classify this defeat against Columbus in the Campeones Cup 2021? A Cruz Azuliada. Yes, absolutely. And the second one for Juan Reynoso. The first one was the way they lost to Monterrey at home in that CCL second leg. That's the first one. First failure for Juan Reynoso, who's built up a lot of equity with this fan base, mm -hmm. built up a lot of equity amongst Liga MX, Mexico pundits, et cetera, et cetera. But this game, it's almost like he's chasing it. It's almost like his pride was hurt in the All-Star game. He's chasing this win. Second half, I mentioned at the desk, Seb, Jonathan Rodriguez, Santiago Jimenez, you have him on the bench, it's time to put him in. He put them in. Mm. I thought he'd go like for like, take Orbelin Pineda out, take Brian Angul out. He kept all of them in. At one point in the game, and very early on in the second half, he had seven true attackers. True attackers, okay? One hybrid player, Luis Romo, and true, two true defenders. Mm. Players with defensive principles, defensive responsibilities, all of a sudden on the field, only two. 
So in transition, they got killed. On set pieces, they got killed. Attend attention to detail on defensive end of the ball, they got killed, and they lost 2-0. That's on Juan Reynoso. Yeah, I'm with you. This is a Cruz Azuliada. This is a choke job, and it's really down to the way they lose it, right? The own goal. The yeah. second goal, Herc. The second goal, Hercules. Jonathan Mensa left wide open, and as you mentioned, Chuy Corona, like, for, for a goalie of his level, he's got to do better there. He's got to do better there. Speaking of your big players not, not doing it enough, Cabecita Rodriguez, that chance that he misses at the beginning of the second half, he's the guy that has to, for Cruz Azul against the MLS team, be the difference maker, be the guy that finishes. He had a really, really great opportunity uh, and skied it, skied it way over yeah. the Columbus goal. To me, those are the opportunities that you can't let pass, and that, that, that's why Cruz Azul loses this game. A couple other things. Nobody would tell you that Cruz Azul were the worst team on this, right, coming in on paper. Uh, you can say it was a home field advantage for Columbus, but if you say 50-50, I might say 60-40 Cruz Azul. I think there was at least for a while in that game a home crowd advantage for Cruz Azul. Uh, the other thing I would say is not only did you lose to the ninth-place team coming into the night in the Eastern Conference, you lost to them without their, their leading goal scorer. Not their right? best player. Two of their best I players. Mean, Artur yes. and Giacisares. And, no and the Giacisares. backup goalkeeper. So, so say what you want, and I'm with you. And, and I do agree about Jonathan Rodriguez. Jonathan Rodriguez was the difference maker in 2020. The best player in North America wasn't named Andre Pierre Gignac in 2020. It wasn't Carlos Vela. It was Jonathan Rodriguez. 26 goals, 7 assists in 2020. He's got 1 in 2021. Mm. And you know what? You know what? Juan Reynoso chose not to start him last night. Maybe Cabecita starting that game is a little bit different. You want to criticize Reynoso further? I don't know what he was doing with Luis Romo. I don't know what the idea oh, was there. Man. I think clearly it did not have the impact that Reynoso thought it would, right? Uh, Luis Romo seemed, at least for me, much less impactful uh, than we usually see him. Let's turn our attention to Columbus because we can blame Cruz Azul all we want, but I think we got to give uh, Columbus some very, very serious credit uh, here. What does this mean for Columbus, Herc, in your opinion? Both both big picture for the franchise, and then in the short term, what does it mean for a potential spark for a potential playoff run? I love what you said about what does it mean for Columbus? Because we see this and you say, what does it mean for Major League Soccer? No, 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 no. This is for Columbus. This is for those people, those fans. Hashtag mm. save the crew one and hashtag save the crew 2.0. You're welcome, by the way. Those people who stuck out with the team who forced Anthony Precourt to leave to Austin and leave the team there. Those people who kept the crew name, those people who deserve this stadium, deserve this win and are rewarded. This is the cherry on top for that fan base, that incredible fan base who through it all stuck with the team and now have this. Hey, you know who I think it was huge for? Caleb Porter. I, I think this season was kind of on the verge of going off the rails. Yes, he's got the trophy from last year, now he's got two trophies. If this leads to a spark to the playoffs, I think it's really, really massive for him and his tenure uh, at Columbus. Beyond that, Herc, it's Columbus's first international title. I know it's, we can say, just a Campeones Cup. But when you get that first international title, for me, as an MLS team, you enter a different echelon of clubs, certainly in 2021. Not everybody can claim an international title much less against the Liga Mekis team. So I think this puts Columbus crew in rarefied air. The one thing I would kind of finish that thought with is Caleb Porter said in late August he's very confident the crew would make the playoffs. I'm not so sure. Three of that, their last seven, Herc, 
are away from home. They've won two games yeah. all season away from home. Four of their last seven are against teams that are above them in the Eastern Conference standings. You could say, hey, those are your opportunities to win back points, but you're also playing teams that throughout the season, to date, at least have performed much better than you. All right, let's move on to one of the other stars from last night. We've talked a bunch of the Columbus stars. Uh, what about Lucas Celarayan? He has the free kick that eventually leads to the own goal by Brian Angulo, which you could call the game winner in this match. In fact, it was. But there's some very interesting news this week from Celarayan, who declared his intent to play for the Armenian national team, Herc. The 29-year-old born in Argentina has Armenian roots. I think, Herc, uh, this is something that we are just going to see more and more of as countries and FAs across the world start to do more recruiting. He's a class player. And, and three years ago, Armenia wanted him. He declined the call-up. And now, three years later, at 29 years of age, he wants it. He's there. And guess what? Armenia's good. They're in the second round of World Cup qualifying. In their group, they only came second to Germany. That's going to be exciting to see him play there. That's right. Top team in the group does directly to the World Cup. Second place into a playoff. So right now, Armenia with a shot um, at the next World Cup. Of course, ESPN Plus, your home for La Liga. Coming up on Saturday, 3 p.m. Eastern time. It'll be Atletico de Madrid, the defending champions against a Barcelona team that is in full-on struggle mode. All right, Herc, let's turn our attention to the shocking breaking news this morning out of the National Women's Soccer League, as reported by Meg Linehan for The Athletic. Paul Riley, who as of this morning was the head coach of the North Carolina Courage, one of the most successful coaches in NWSL history, stands accused by multiple former players, Herc, of sexual coercion and sexual uh, misconduct. Before you and I kind of weigh in on this, I, I want to acknowledge uh, the absence in this conversation, that is that we don't have a woman here to talk about it. Um, that is not intentional. Uh, that is not down to any lack of effort from the production crew or staff here. We tried today. The reality is we have a very tight live taping window, and we couldn't make it work out with this breaking news. But I promise you this, in the coming days, we will have women on this show to talk about this because their perspective on this, Herc, uh, is much more important than ours. All that said, after this news dropped, this morning, uh, it was a bombshell in the world of women's soccer. There has been fallout, and this is very much a developing story. What we do know now is that the North Carolina Courage have terminated the contract of Paul Riley. The U.S. Soccer Federation has revoked his coaching license. Uh, you read this maybe an hour or so after I did. What was just your kind of guttural reaction to this, uh, for me, devastatingly sad report from Meg Linehan and The Athletic? Just disgusting. I mean, think about everything our, our women have to fight for in this sport. Equality when it comes to pay. We've heard these things about abuse, where this, whether it's mental or physical, uh, from the spirit and, the, and their coach there. And now sexual coercion. And now, now this from multiple players. And it wasn't like something just happened. Mm. NWSL, Lisa Baird, the, the commissioner, they say they're shocked by this. They were informed by these players via written letter, email, in April and in May. And if you don't believe us, go look at Alex Morgan's Twitter. Go, go mm. look at the proof. The proof is in the pudding there. It's, it's shocking to me. Lisa Baird, the commissioner, should, should resign immediately. Uh, mm. Anybody involved, Gavin Wilkinson with the, with the Portland Thorns and, and the Timbers, and, and anybody who has links to NWSL or, or anything going on, U.S. soccer, uh, this happened on their watch. It, it's disgusting. I agree with you. I, I wish we had a woman on to really sharing this story with us to do it justice. We're going to do our best, but this is shocking. It's appalling.
Mm. Yeah, so um, I've known Meg Linehan for a while. I followed her reporting for a long time. I trust her reporting, Herc, um, down to the grammar. But beyond that, I think it's super important for us to say as two dudes on this show, uh, we believe women. That is the stance of Football Americas. That will be our default stance in any situation like this moving forward. I do not feel as comfortable, Herc, saying the same about Paul Riley, who did respond to these allegations and denied them, but chose not to do so in an interview with Meg Linehan, instead responding via email. For me, Herc, for something this serious, that is simply unacceptable. I do not see a future in which Paul Riley will be managing again in the women's game or, frankly, in American soccer. I'm not a legal expert. I do not know if what Paul Riley did was illegal, but I know it was immoral, Herc. And I know that you know that I coach. So as a coach, these are lines you cannot cross. And when you do, there is no coming back. And I think everyone in American soccer that gave Paul Riley a second chance or a third chance has to look at themselves real harsh right now in the mirror and ask themselves what they were doing. As far as what you mentioned about NWSL's, not necessarily role, but the response, um, a couple things there. Lisa Baird chose not to comment to Meg Linehan in The Athletic. In the response to one of the alleged victims who was warning her of this behavior, alleged behavior by Paul Riley, the response from Lisa Baird, the commissioner, quote, Thank you again for your email. I wish you the best. If that is not dismissive, I don't know what is. And to be dismissive of something of this gravity in 2021, Herc, to me, I agree with you, is a fireable offense. I do not see how Lisa Baird can continue uh, as the NWSL commissioner. I should say this. Lisa Baird did release a statement via the NWSL Twitter account trumpeting the anti-harassment policy of the league. Alex Morgan, as you mentioned, took exception. Perhaps more pointedly, Megan Rapino called the statement beyond disrespectful. I think we're in agreement here, right? Just not good enough from the NWSL, just not good enough Herc, from their commissioner. Their commissioner, even U.S. soccer, a stronger stance here. I know there's an mm. ongoing investigation, but... How do these people come into positions of power? How aren't they vetted? Why is it that these male figures have more prominence in the women's game than the women do? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, for sure, this is something we will keep an eye on. This story is not going away. And here on Football Americas, in the coming days, we will be covering it. And we will be covering it, most importantly, with the perspective of women. I want to leave you, though with the NWSL Players Association statement, or at least part of it that was released after the report, again, from Meg Linehan in The Athletic. Quote, words cannot adequately capture our anger, pain, sadness, and disappointment. The statement goes on to say, NWSL has failed us. We are taking our power back. So be it. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. 
Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Yo sé que es estar en la cima, pero también yo sé que es tocar fondo. La diferencia tuya y mía es que yo nunca traicionaba mi combo. Coming up on Sunday, Galaxy hosting LAFC. Como llegan? How are they arriving to this game? Well, the Galaxy 2-1 losers last night, Wednesday night, against RSL. That despite Herc Chicharito scoring his 12th goal of the season. The Galaxy concede in the 95th minute. Not exactly how you want to enter your big rivalry match. No, this is a golazo, by the way. Efra with a slick little ball here to Javier Hernandez. Javier, little quick touch, then off the left foot and gives it to the Barra Brava in South Lake. Look at this little finish. It's a great finish. David Ochoa with the game himself. Kept Salt Lake in it. And then watch this. I, this is just... It's a golazo, golazo. I, I, I'm mm. going to reiterate, golazo. But you can't defend <laughs> this way in the 95th minute. You can't defend this way when you're earning a point on the road. Mm. So that's three straight losses then for the LA Galaxy. However, after the game, Chicharito said, I believe in this club. Herc, do you believe that Chicharito, who, as I mentioned, dropped his 12th goal of the season against LAFC, will score on Sunday against the LA Galaxy? Yeah, I do. I smell it. I believe it. Mm. Uh, Javier Hernandez is a lot of things. He's a very positive individual. He loves selling all that. Yes, but he's also a very good player. And good players come up in the big moments, whether it's Carlos Vela when he's healthy against the Galaxy, whether it's Slatan when he was there against LAFC, Christian Pafón, whoever you want. The stars come out to play in these Clásicos and this Clásico. And Javier Hernandez is not the exception. As a goal scorer, all you need is that one. And trust me, this is a very good goal that Javier Hernandez scores. Javier Hernandez is getting opportunities. The Galaxy is a team that services him. And if he has opportunities, he will score, I believe so, against an LAFC team who's also struggling, by the way. Right, last game between these two, 3-3. So if there's going to be goals, I'll take the odds that Chicharito will be one of the guys to score. We didn't really talk about it with the Mexican national team. Can we? Do we still count Chicharito as a, as a Mexican national team snub? No, not anymore. I think that boat sailed. Mm. I mean, Tata mm. Martino's made it very clear. Not on my watch. Wow. Even with the goals. Even with the goals. Even with the goals. All right, well, what about LAFC, Herc? They also fell on Wednesday night. LAFC taking on the Portland Timbers at home. They lose 2-1. LAFC also now with three losses in a row, four points out of a playoff spot. A big missed opportunity for LAFC at home last night, Herc. Jimmy Chadao with a slick little finish. Portland and LA got a nice little rivalry going on LAFC right there. Mm -hmm. This is a slick goal as well. But when you score at home, you get your crowd going. Musovski right there, Henderson product with the goal. 
You need to capitalize. You cannot let Portland back in this game. A bit of a deflection here, then the rebound, and we're going home. 2-1 back to Portland with the win. LAFC just keeps dropping points at home, Seba. This isn't the first game. Giovanni Savarese, he'll eat it up all day, but this is an ongoing story for LAFC and what they've not been able to do at home. Yeah, last time LAFC played the Portland Timbers, didn't Bob Bradley complain about the turf in Portland? They were at Bank <laughs> of California in this one. I wonder if Bob's still complaining uh, about the turf. Uh, let's look ahead then to Sunday at Dignity Health Sports Park. LA Galaxy are in sixth in the Western Conference. LAFC in ninth. Who do you think needs it more? They're only separated by like five points, okay? So it isn't necessarily like a who needs it more. This is the end-all, be-all. But it's LAFC. It has to be LAFC. You spoke of Bob Bradley. There are tons of rumors circulating that Bob Bradley contract year could be gone and he can go to Toronto. He can go to Chicago. If you don't win, if you don't string along some good performances in a game like this can do wonders for your team, this may be the last chance for LAFC to do something special. Carlos Vela is in a contract year. What's to say? They lose this game. They're out of playoffs. Mm -hmm. it's, just a, it's just one of these things that's going to happen where they blow this up and it's yep. gone. What, what was a very great opportunity for LAFC is gone. A hundred percent. This to me feels like Bob Bradley's last stand with LAFC. They get a win today, sorry, Sunday, against the LA Galaxy. Maybe there's a shot at the playoffs. Maybe there's a shot at an MLS Cup run. This team is still very talented. Maybe yeah. that brings Bob Bradley and Carlos Vela and the gang back for another year beyond this. But with Carlos Vela constantly linked to Europe, and by the way, kind of putting it out there that he might be interested in a European return. The aforementioned reports that you're talking about with Bob Bradley in the last year of his contract linked to Chicago, et cetera, et cetera. This does feel like not just the last stand for Bob Bradley, but maybe the last dance for what was really supposed to be a powerhouse in this league, Herc. And if they don't make the playoffs this year, that is four years without a single major trophy. You know what I'm thinking, right? What are you thinking? Fracaso. Fracaso. I mean, it has to be with the amount of investment, with the, the, the buzz they created in the city, how they came out, you know, out of the gates uh, into Major League Soccer, the star power, it is a fracaso. You've got the coach, you've got the player, you've got the stadium, you've got the fans, you've got the ownership group. You need the title. Herc, you know what time it is? Time to make folks some money. It is book it time, and your boy has been red hot of late. That's right. I called not just the crew winning Campeones Cup. I called the score. Dos a cero That's on the last edition. That's because you're That's why you did the dos a cero. Uh, Football Americas. <laughs> I am just uh, red hot on fire. Take your boy's picks uh, while it lasts because it is not guaranteed okay. by any way uh, means to continue. All right, so we were our assignment today for this for the for El Tráfico on Sunday was to pick a parlay. Okay. Herka, what are you going with? I'm going with the Galaxy win and both teams to score. Both teams to score because in 12 games in this Clásico, there have been 56 goals. That is mm. 4.6 goals per game average. There are some goals in this game. It's always exciting. And can I tell you about the Galaxy's dominance in Carson over LAFC? Four wins, zero losses, one tie. They've outscored LAFC in that span 13 to six. Book it, mm. Galaxy, and they both score. All right, so you know me, Herc. When it comes to these type of decisions, I got, I got some hard and fast rules, right? Okay. Um, if it's a final, you bet the under. Okay. If it's the first leg and the teams are evenly matched, you bet the draw. Okay. And I'm introducing a new rule here on Football Americas, courtesy Sebi Salazar. Always bet against Bob. 
No. In the big games, always bet You're against terrible. Bob. Bob Bradley's big game record He's gonna find speaks you one day. for itself. I'm gonna take the Galaxy to win at plus 155, and that I over, can't protect you, are you forever, Sebby. On on that, you are dead on. I actually thought about taking the over at three and a half because it's a, a a bit better payout. But I'll play it safe for once for once in my life. I'll be a little bit conservative. No home run swings here. I'll keep it at two and a half, Herc, um, and take the over. I think what we're both saying here is we definitely expect goals. Of course we expect goals. I, I just gave you the goals here. 4.6 per game. That is an insane pace of goals. These two teams, they always pay end-to-end -end stuff. They got the star power. They open up. It's all offensive, these defenders, these poor defenders. Can somebody invest in some defenders in this class equal? Because <laughs> I feel bad for these goalkeepers. All right, we'll leave it there. For Book It, you've got the picks. I got the Galaxy to win and over two and a half goals. Sunday, it is El Trafico here on ESPN. LA Galaxy against LAFC, 8 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN, ESPN Deportes, and of course, streaming live on the ESPN app. Elsewhere, we got more Major League Soccer news. Another firing, Rafael Wicke, the head coach of the Chicago Fire, he took over just before the 2020 season. He won 23% of his games. Herc, the fire currently 12th out of 14 in the Eastern Conference. Are you at all surprised? A little. I mean, they just won the game, and then he gets fired. I know there's branding problems with, with Chicago. There's stadium problems. They're set to miss their 10th playoff I mean, Rafael playoff Vicky didn't have anything seasons. to do with the branding. No, no, no. Rafael Vicky, he, he's a casualty of. And, and hmm. this has a little to do with his family situation, and then they're letting him go early. He's, he's got a medical problem with his father. That said... George Heights, the mm. sporting director. Uh, this is a roster you've constructed. These are your DPs, Aliceda, Gaston Jimenez, Robert Barrick, who have been very underwhelming. Nine goals, five assists amongst the three. Uh, I mean, if something's got to give and the coach is out, who's next? So, Wiki, then the seventh MLS coach this season who didn't finish the year in the job they started it in. Uh, that includes Frey Juarez, who left. RSL for greener pastures. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! Splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Want to make sure that I'm a leader uh, and I give everything to the club and, and my teammates to help them and help the team be successful and, uh, and win these football games. How busy could Miazga and LaGuardia be today against Simeone's men? The corner to come in, it's heading towards and it's gone! An early goal for Alaves, it's LaGuardia who gets it! Tell him the vision! Three valuable points for Alaves. Defensively they were excellent, LaGuardia was excellent, Miazga was excellent. Matt Miazga joins us next then on Football Americas. Matt, welcome to the show here on ESPN. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be on. 
So let's talk about your time at Alaves and let's start with the most recent success. You guys played Atletico Madrid, the defending champions on the weekend, and you get a huge win, one nothing. keep the clean sheet, first victory of the season. Just how important was it for the crew? Yeah, it was massive. Uh, it was it was more important that we, you know, got off to a, to a, a win in our season because we've been on kind of losing on a losing streak with five five losses in a row. So um, to do it against the champions obviously gives us a, a big confidence boost. So um, now we're just looking to build on it with uh, with another win, hopefully on, on Friday against uh, Bilbao. So you start against Atletico, you go the full 90 minutes, and you're going up against Luis Suarez and Antoine Griezmann. What's that like? It was good. Obviously, um, these are the types of games you want to play. You want to play against uh, big players, big clubs, and, uh, and, and, and showcase what you got and showcase what your team has. And uh, we were able to, uh, to get three points, get a clean sheet, and, uh, and take it from there. So um, for me, it was good on a personal level to you know, play full 90 minutes and get a clean sheet and uh, just to continue carrying on. It's a long season, so we're hoping to kind of get out of the, the bottom three uh, this weekend and, uh, and keep going from there. How did the move to Alaves come about? You're obviously on loan from Chelsea, but yeah. every summer there seems to be this kind of whirlwind of transfer news and your deal comes down late. So I'm sure, you know, there's probably some, some stress, some tension in those final weeks, wasn't yeah. there? Yeah, um, to be fair, mine wasn't that late um, this summer. Uh, it, was, uh, it was kind of like in the middle, but nonetheless, uh, transfer windows are always pretty hectic, uh, especially now with the pandemic uh, having affected a lot of clubs. You know, everybody was trying to leave their business late, um, and rightfully so. You know, some a lot of clubs don't have a lot of money other than like the, the biggest clubs in the world. So everyone's trying to figure out ways with their finances to get deals across the board, whether that's loans or permanents. And, you know, mine ended up being a loan. You know, um, I, I would have liked to go on a permanent uh, this summer. But, you know, like I just said, with the pandemic and the transfer windows, it was, it was difficult. But I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be in a, in a arguably, arguably one of the, the best leagues in the world. So for me, it's a good platform to, uh, to progress, to showcase myself. And, you know, all of us... Uh, showed me, you know, a lot of trust and, and they really wanted me. So I kind of wanted to go to the place where I was really wanted um, and, and I'm here now. So I'm happy to be here. I'm interested in what you just said there, kind of the difference between a, a permanent move and a loan move of which you've had plenty over your career. Why do you think it is so important for you to eventually get, get kind of that, that permanent move that you're seeking? Well, I'm older now. Um, I think the loan phase of, of my career kind of has finished. You know, I went to Chelsea really young. I was 20 years old. Um, I went straight to the first team, and sometimes things don't go your way. And some, the reality is you, you, you go to a big club, and, you know, you're fighting for a spot with world-class players. And I was, uh, I was young at the time. I needed to get, gain more experience, and I went on loan. And um, the next few years, I kind of continued to go that, that route. But... You know, now that I'm older, you know, I'm trying to kind of settle down more and have a permanent move. Um, but it was difficult with this window because, like I said, with the pandemic, a lot of clubs don't have uh, the finances that they would have liked to have. So for me now, um, I'm here on loan. I'm going to take it as I go. I'm going to make sure I do well for the club. And they have a loan. They have an option to buy as well. So we'll see in the end of the season what transpires, but uh, like I said, I'm happy to be here in, in, in a beautiful country like Spain playing, uh, playing in La Liga.
you mentioned your time at Chelsea and early on you did like break through with the first team very, very quickly. What was that experience like being a young American and playing with a, a star studded Chelsea team at that time? Yeah, um, like you said, it was it was a whirlwind when it all happened because I was really young. Um, I just had a you know a good season in MLS and and it, it was time to kind of go abroad and, and test myself and, and Chelsea came calling and it's difficult to say no you know as, as a young player you know big club like that shows a lot of trust in you you have meetings and phone calls with with the people there and and they really want you and uh, they have a pathway for you unfortunately you know um, new manager comes in when, when I got there and and the reality is it's tough for a young American especially a central defender to, to get minutes and uh and I had to, you know, grind my way through uh, through Europe, um, and that's the harsh reality. Sometimes people don't understand that, you know, um, there's always this cloud over your head that you're an American playing in Europe. So sometimes, you know, you're not respected as much, and you have to kind of make those gradual steps. You know, from MLS to Chelsea was a massive, massive gap. You know, there's a lot of steps that I've missed. So I had to kind of go back and climb that kind of reclimb that ladder if that if that makes sense so i had to go to holland then i went to france belgium a little bit of championship mix in there and now i kind of took that next step in the ladder and got to la liga so um getting more experience i'm i have a lot of games under my belt now in europe so um it's kind of that's kind of how the journey has gone and and I, I believe in myself. I, I'm confident I can get back to the, to, the, to the heights of European football. So I just have to continue to believe in myself and keep going. Like you said, it's kind of something you can't say no to. Do you in any way regret the move to Chelsea? I don't regret it at all, to be honest. You know, people ask me here and there, you know, obviously you went to Chelsea and then you bounced around a bit. Um, what are your thoughts? Would you have changed anything? And I'm, in my head, I'm like, you know, I could always, I could always say I, I would like to have changed it, but... When, you, when I look back, you know, I'm grateful that I've been to all these different countries, um, learning new languages, meeting new people, um, learning new different football philosophies, living, living life in different countries, kind of growing up as a man. Um, that, that's been really important as a man to, to kind of grow and mature and kind of see, see the real world, not just, you know, stay in America and, and, and stay in your home and and be happy there, which is fine. I wanted to get out in Europe and, and see see what's out there and, and test myself in, in European football. So um, I'm glad that I was able to do that. And I'm still doing it right now, so I'm enjoying it. Um, but I, if, I, if I could say that, I don't regret it at all, to be honest. I got to say, I'm looking at your resume. I think you would make the perfect spokesperson for ESPN Plus, because literally every league that you've played in is currently uh, on our service. We got, we got the Dutch League, you played in the Test. We got championship, you played at Reading. We got the Jupiler League, Belgium, you played at Anderlecht. And of course now uh, La Liga on ESPN Plus too. So, um, and you're one of the Americans, Matt, that I think also has kind of like a unique, well-rounded perspective of Europe. Cause it's not all the same, right? There are different levels and everything. So let's go kind of league by league. What, what is the Dutch league like? What was your experience there for someone that, that maybe is, is new to the Dutch league, has, hasn't really seen much of it? Yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed my time in Holland. I think it was an important part of my development. One, because it's a great league for young players. Um, two, I've learned kind of a different style and philosophy where playing out of the back is really important. You know, starting attacks and building from the back um, and the build-up play was really important. I didn't really get that uh, in America. Um, obviously, when I was younger, I was always playing for New York Rebels Academy, which was, you know, the top 
top youth academies and it was it was fairly easy you know what i mean um and it was a different style of play you're always dominating and winning games you never really were tested much um and then i went to mls and obviously mls is much different than europe um so i didn't really need to do these types of situations in 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 games and and right off the bat in holland i was you know uh, not forced to but i was uh responsible for the build-out play and i had to learn a lot through that and then i was playing important games as well you know playing consistent minutes in holland where they really uh really like to develop young players and give young players responsibility so that was important for me as well you think of the dutch league you think of a very technical league the next league i want to discuss is the championship which we kind of think of as the opposite like blood guts rain yeah. mud um is that true or is that kind of stereotyping the championship for the most part you're pretty spot on um <laughs> uh, it's it's i mean if it's the most demanding league in the world that's for sure i mean um it's the most demanding league i've played in you know you're playing saturdays tuesdays basically all season long with cup games included so there's not much of a break and and these games are these games are these games are tough you're playing in the winter and pitches aren't great sometimes you know it's like you said it's muddy rainy the weather's not great in england so it's cold and like i said rainy and muddy and it's definitely difficult and 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 more times than not the teams in the championship it's more direct it's very direct very physical um a lot of balls in the air um so you have to be really good early um but like i said that developed another part of my game you know um that was always one of my my traits but to go into probably one of the best leagues in the world for you know physicality and directness and kind of see that type of game in europe that was also really good for myself and i was able to you know experience these types of games and when i first went to reading the first year um i went midway through the season and they were in a relegation battle so right off the bat you know i was put into all these pressure pressure moments where relegation is is the reality and you don't want to have relegation on your resume or you don't want to be at a club that gets relegated so you feel the pressure you feel that every weekend and the games are really tight and important and nobody really wants to make mistakes so they kind of just play long balls and you fight and you you have to win your duels you have to win the second ball so it's definitely a rugged and tough league but i i also enjoy my time there too so you mentioned the the value kind of the pressure added from a promotion relegation. We obviously don't have that here in the United States. Do you think that would make a different for difference for kind of like the development of the American player or American soccer? I think it would. Um for for all the reasons I just said, you know, you go into late in the season and and you know, some games aren't important. So, you know, the standard or the level of focus doesn't really matter. So, you know, some players or teams can kind of just let it go but um a lot every game here means something whether you're fighting for promotion whether you're fighting for relegation to get a relegation whether you're fighting in a cup but that's obviously in in MLS as well you have the uh, open cup right but um or if there's a big difference between finishing from uh uh bottom half of the table to to top half of the table uh in terms of uh financially you know bonuses so everyone's playing for something and it also means something for everyone so um there's also a lot of pride to do with it you know um fans in i mean i'm not saying in MLS they don't care but i feel like in europe they make more of an emphasis you know you know fans care where they finish then the season you know there's a lot of um bragging rights and 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 things of that nature where you know it's a big difference if you finish 11th or 8th you know what i mean so 
um, every game here matters, and 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 you feel you feel that's really important. Let's talk a little bit about your international career. Uh, before we get to kind of present day, I want to go back to the very beginnings because you're a player who actually, like a lot of players in the U.S. pool, had a choice between the United States and another country. For you, it was Poland. You actually represented Poland um, yeah. at the under 18, I think, age group. So yeah, 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 uh, yeah. What, was, what was that choice and kind of that experience like for you? Because you went through it at a, at a time where I think our awareness, sensitivity to those, those difficult choices was different than it is now. Yeah, no, it's much different. It was much different back then, to be honest, when I look at it all, the landscape of it all now. Um, but for me, you know, um, like I'm born, I'm born and raised in America. My whole family's from Poland. My parents were born in Poland and we speak Polish at home. Um, so I've obviously always felt attached uh, to Poland um, and I've represented them at youth levels as well. But with the U.S., um, I've represented them first at youth levels. I represent, represented them more consistently through youth levels. So I've kind of had them in my heart always. And once you play for the US at a, at a youth level, my dream or my goal was always to represent the national team at the highest level, uh, which is first team level. So once my, my career started to progress and progress, uh, and I think it was um, my last year at Red Bull in 2015, I remember I got phone calls from the Polish Federation and phone calls from Jurgen. Um, and at the time I was with Tab under 20, under 20s. Um, and I kind of, my, that cycle finished and I was having a pretty good MLS season. And, you know, I started getting those phone calls and then my mind started to obviously think about, you know, what, what, what am I gonna do? Um, and then Jurgen, I remember I was just talking with the Polish Federation. They were just, you know, talking to me and seeing, you know, if I'd be interested, this and that. But when Jurgen called me, he called me up right away. He's like, hey, I want you in camp. I want you to be a part of the team. I want to integrate you. And I was like, bang, that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's always been my goal. And I want to represent the USA. So um, that's, that's, how it, that's how it came about. I hear a lot of stories about Jurgen Klinsmann that sound similar to that. Like, how good was he on the phone? Should this dude actually be like a college football recruiting coordinator? Yeah, you can say that. I mean, it's not. I mean, he has all he has all the um, the pull power you need. You know, obviously the head coach and men's national when the men's national team head coach calls you, you're gonna listen. And, and if you, if, you, if you have some type of admiration for the U.S., you're gonna you're gonna go play for the U.S. So uh, for me, it was always my goal. But yeah, you're gonna obviously sold sold the project well. Obviously, um, at that time. Uh, Right after the 2014 World Cup, there was a big hype around the U.S. You know, it was, it was growing. The sport was definitely growing. I can feel it, and I just wanted to be a part of it. So it all made sense for me. It's call-up week, you know, as we wait for the next round of World Cup qualifiers. What's that like for you as you kind of just, I'm sure, stare at your phone for hours on end? I'm just going to I'm gonna refresh my emails after this phone call and see, see what the situation is. <laughs> But um, no, we'll see. Um, we'll see what happens. I think. I think. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but I think call-ups come either today or tomorrow. So, um, well, the email, the final selection. So, I'll see if I have it. You know, we'll see what goes. I mean, I spoke with spoke with Greg last camp, and uh, last camp we both agreed that it was best for me to stay and kind of settle in in, in Spain and and uh, start you know getting significant minutes in La Liga first. Um, and I think that was the right right call and now I've been playing so we'll see what happens the you know World Cup qualifiers are the most intense games I'm sure it's where you want to be how tough was it watching those from afar 
to be fair, I didn't watch him live because uh, when I was in Spain, it was the games were like three, four a.m., so it was very difficult. But um, obviously, I rewatched the highlights and 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 seen seen extend the highlights, so it's difficult. I mean, everybody knows how hard Concacaf World Cup qualifying is in general, let alone Concacaf. Um, and there's always a lot of pressure being the USA, you know, the powerhouse, one of the powerhouses in Concacaf, and now with all uh, the hype around us because we all play in great leagues and great teams. So um, the pressure is there for us to qualify, and, and rightfully so, you know. Um, we want that pressure. I think we, we can thrive in that pressure. Um, and uh, it was important to, uh, to get some good results, and I think the guys done that, um, especially the last game, definitely being down 1-0, showed a lot of heart, showed a lot of resilience, and at the end of the day, got the three points. You know, it's never pretty, but that's qualifying. No one's going to look back and say, oh, we played so great against uh, this and this and this. Nah, we got three points, you move on, and the World Cup's coming up. You know, so we have another uh, important three games uh, this next weekend. So um, it's important. Every game is important. The World Cup is coming up, man. Uh, how important is you think big picture about your career would be in a part of that list of 23 for Qatar be for you? Yeah, that's always, I think, the goal for all of us is to be a part of uh, the final the final roster for the World Cup. You know, I think that's um, the, the, the top, top, top um, level you can achieve as, as a footballer is representing your country in a World Cup. Um, so that's the goal, obviously. Um, but we still have to qualify, number one. And number two is is, you know, do good with, with, with our respective clubs and put ourselves in good situations to get called up. Um, and, and we'll see how it goes from there. But the World Cup's definitely the goal for sure. There's a lot of competition at center back. Does that excite you? Does it make you nervous? Like, how do you feel when you look around the U.S. roster and you see all these um, young players who are, you know, doing well in Europe and, and doing well in MLS as well? Uh, that, that's part part and parcel of the game, right? You know, when you're representing the country, you're going to be playing against, you're going to be number one teammates with, you know, the best players in the country has to offer. And two, um, it's going to be competitive. Everyone's playing at a good level. Um, you know, you're representing your country, so you have to be good. And uh, at the end of the day, that's what makes everyone better also is the competition between each other. Um, you know, everyone wants to play. Everyone wants to showcase themselves in training, showcase themselves um, with your respective clubs uh, games and then get picked and selected. Um, so uh, for me, I enjoy it. You know, we, I think we have a really strong uh, group now, really tight knit group where everyone, uh, you know, wants to see each other succeed. And then when we're with the national team to succeed as a national team and be strong as a, as a core group. So um, uh, that's football. And I think, uh, I think Greg has done a really good job of keeping everyone together and keeping keeping things moving within the national team. If you ask any U.S. fan, and maybe you'll correct me if I'm wrong, I think the number one Matt Miazga moment in a U.S. men's national team jersey has to be the stare down with Diego Lainez uh, in that match between the U.S. and Mexico. What do you remember about that moment? What I remember? Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes. Are you still there? Hello. Yeah. You said that. Oh, sorry. I got caught up. Yeah, we got you. Up. I got. A, I got. A, I got, a, got a couple. I got a phone call. I had to put away. But um, no. I mean, look. Sometimes a football trash talk happens, right? Um, <laughs> I, I've been known in the past to 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 let it loose a bit. Um, I don't know if it's that's where I'm from. I'm Jer I'm I'm born and bred Jersey, so it kind of 
is just within me. But look, um, during that moment, I remember, I don't remember exactly what happened, but I think there was a foul or someone got kicked and then we kind of stared down to each other. And at the moment, you know, obviously I did a gesture that, you know, when you look back, it was, you know, I'm more mature now, it's a bit immature, um, but it happened. Um, you know, what happens in the game stays in the game, off the pitch, whenever anything happens, you shake hands like men, you respect the player, you respect everyone and, you know, good game and, you know, see you, see you around in the next game or whatever I see you next. Um, so that's, that, that's kind of how I look at it. You know, um, there, there's no disrespect. It's, it's football. Sometimes, you know, trash talk can get the best of you and, and things happen in games, but there's, there's never disrespect. There's always respect and you move on. You know what I mean? So that's about it. And at the end of the day, I remember we won the game. I think, I think they got a red card right after that. So, it, I mean, I, I could have gotten a red card, uh, a yellow red card also. So I had a, I remember, I remember when I was doing, I remember when the whole situation was coming about, I was like, oh snap, I gotta, I'm, I was in yellow. So I was like, I, I, I gotta be smarter here. What am I doing? And I kind of started walking away because if things escalated even further, wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been good. But things happen and you move on and, and there's always, there's always respect at the end of the game. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's sport, right? So um, whatever stays in the game stays in the game and you move on. So. Were you surprised at the reaction from that? Because I remember for weeks afterwards, uh, people were still talking about it. And anytime there's like a USA Mexico montage now, that that makes its way into yeah. it somehow. Yeah, that's always going to be uh, involved somehow because it was a moment where there was, you know, tension and and kind of, uh, you know, some flair and things of things of that nature involved. So you know, people like that kind of thing sometimes. You know, when there's, you know, something out of the ordinary and there's a big big melee and things of that nature. So uh, I'm aware that it will probably be played for a long time, but you know, things, things happen. You know, I think we've played them a few times after that. And, you know, I remember uh, I, when we played, we played them in the Gold Cup final in 2019. I remember like warming up and, you know, I was getting shouts from the Mexican fans nearby and stuff. But you know what the funny thing was? Um, uh, the, when, that, when that did happen, the next day, we were flying out from Nashville and going, you know, to our clubs. I was—I think I was in France at the time, so I was flying out to France. And I got to the airport, and I was checking in. I remember there was like four or five uh, fans, and they had Mexico jerseys, and they're all behind me. And I'm thinking, oh man, they're probably gonna be like, oh, you know, why did you do that to our player? Blah, blah blah. They come up to me and they're like, hey, can we get a picture? Like, you know, blah blah blah. And I was like, oh, of course. Like, yeah, no worries. So like. You know, it's it's just sometimes things happen in games, and and there's no there's no disrespect, and you move on. You know what I mean? So it is what it is. What is it about USA Mexico that's special? As somebody who's played in it a few times, who's been caught up in, in kind of the emotion of it, um, it is one of the best rivalries I think in international football and international soccer. Do you agree? And and if so, why? You know, I don't know if it's one of the best international football. You have some pretty crazy. Uh, pretty crazy rivalries and, 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 and games, but it's definitely up there. Um, and I think it's just because one, we're in CONCACAF and we're the two powerhouses, you can say. So we know that they're a good team and they know that we're a good team. So w when you when you go up and play against each other, there's always gonna be that moment or that tension where, okay, we need to get the better of them and they need to get the better of us. So we all wanna prove, you know, who's the superior in CONCACAF and, and when these types of uh, situations uh, or games happen, 
that, that that's what happens. We we wanna we wanna be the superior one, and we wanna win the game and and stamp our foot uh, on the ground and showcase show that we're the best team in Concacaf. So um, I think that's pretty normal, to be honest. All right, Matt, we've taken up enough of your time. Thanks so much for joining us here on Football Americas. Good luck in the international window and in what's left of the La Liga season with Alaves. Take care, man. See you later. All right, Herc. I was so excited about our interview with Matt Miazga. I was putting him in the call-up list uh, at the beginning of the show. It was a really good chat. Anything stand out to you? No, just his attitude. I, you know, he's, he speaks very well. He seems to be very grounded, good head on his shoulder. Uh, I, I like that he doesn't want to keep moving around. He wants to establish himself. I think La Liga could be a very good place for him. I held him in high regard when the Chelsea move came about. I, like him, said it's very difficult to say no to a club like Chelsea, especially back then. I'm glad that he wants to stick somewhere for a while, though. So we had a really, really good conversation. The extended version of that is available, again, on the podcast, which, folks, remember, you can find in the ESPN FC wherever you get your Any pods. Any Diego Linus say? talk? We did talk about Diego Linus. Uh, that will be saved for a okay. special edition of Football Americas. A little bit of, of this going <laughs> You kept on. looking down at you. I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> uh, Alaves, of course, uh, in action Friday against Athletic Bilbao, ESPN Plus uh, on La Liga. That game kicks off 2.50 p.m. Eastern time. It is, of course, her Hispanic Heritage Month. Uh, ESPN releasing their top 10 La Liga players under 21. We got the Diego Linus in there at 10. Yunus Musa was on this list uh, at 11. No Serginho Dest on this list, though. What am I missing there, Herc? He's 20. Yeah, yeah. And it is not his. Is it Hispanics under 21? I'm confused because he should be there. No, Giorgio Mamardashvili. No, um, no, no, no is, you're is right. He's from Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. Where is Serginho yeah. Dest? What is. Who made this yeah. list? Uh, not us. Not us, we should say. Um, Diego Linus and Yunus Musa on it, Herc. Diego Linus, 21. Yunus Musa, still just 18. Uh, who you taking between those two? <laughs> I'm taking Yunus Musa. Nah. No. Yeah. Not only is he 18, three years younger. Can I give you some stats? Uh, Musa, he's 18. He's played more. Uh, he's played over 18,000, 1,800, excuse me, minutes in La Liga. He's got two La Liga goals, uh, mm. 18, by the way. His last La Liga goal was November uh, of 2020 mm -hmm. versus Getafe. Diego Lainez is 21, and he's played less minutes in La Liga, just a little bit over 1,500 minutes. And uh, he's never scored a goal in La Liga. And by my count, days since Diego Lainez's last goal, where is it? Mm. 1,400. Mm. Oh. No, I, I don't. Mm. I don't. I don't want to say it. Be right. Be be correct. Last goal at club level. La because Liga. I remember. I remember. I said I it. remember the Nations League final where Diego Linus came off the bench, scored, and was a difference maker. Where, where was Yunus Musa there in, in the Nations League? Oh, oh that's right. That's what it is. That's We're right. measuring La Liga moments by nation, now, Nations League. Let's also be honest about what Valencia is currently compared to what it used to be. Real okay. Betis is spending money. They brought in Diego Linus. They paid a if lot Valencia for Diego Linus. They did. And if Valencia was what they used to be and was spending as much money as they used to, Yunus Musa would not be getting the opportunities What's that, that he is. What's that saying he in Spanish? Because if, he's if an my... academy product who's very, very cheap, and they can use him in different roles. Oh, wow, Diego Linus. Why didn't you say so, Diego? Why go to Betis? We spent two and a half, three years not playing. Oh, man. Mm. 
We mentioned uh, La Liga yes, on yes. ESPN Plus. Not just La Liga, we got Liga Mekis on ESPN Plus uh, as well, Herc. Sunday, Cholos against Cruz Azul. Maybe uh, Cruz Azul can bounce back from the devastating Campeones Cup defeat against Columbus Crew. All right, one more matter of business, Herc, before we get out of here. A little taste of a You Got CONCACAF Part Do. Remember our good buddy <laughs> Ronnie Brunswick? We got a similar situation in Nisa. New Amsterdam FC, their owner, uh, is also playing goalie, apparently. Lawrence Girard. Uh, it did not go well for New Amsterdam FC with their owner in goal. They lost to Detroit City FC 6, Herc, 6-1. to one. Don't play in goal. Stick to your day job. Chief Executive Officer of Fruit Street Health. This is your day <laughs> job. You're not a goalkeeper. <laughs> By the way, the head coach is Buna Kandul, who actually was a goalkeeper. What are you doing, Buna? My ex-teammate <laughs> of Colorado. Like, this is a you got CONCACAF. This is another, another one of those. Unbelievable. Uh, can we give a shout-out here to Brian Strauss, reporter for Sports Illustrated? Uh, he tweeted that the rumor going around is that both Eric Winalda and Jermaine Jones, who have coached New Amsterdam FC, left the team because they wouldn't agree to this madness. They wouldn't agree to this... Do do you doubt it at all? Of course, of course I doubt it. Look how good he was in goal. By the way, by the way, the <laughs> new Amsterdam FC Twitter account mm -hmm. got hacked. Got hacked. Why do you think it got hacked? I, I think change your password. There you go. All right. Well, hey, Nissan wants coverage. They got it here. You got on it. On Football We got America. you covered. How about that? Uh, great interview then today with Matt Miazga coming up on Monday's show. Similar with Chris Richards. Very, Richards. very interesting. Very, very interesting. All right, Hercules Gomez, always good to be with you here on Football Americas. We will see you all again next Monday here on ESPN+. It only Plus. took four Enjoy planes to get here, Seb. Only four. That's it. Yeah.